0: Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walden. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D-Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D-Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Welcome back to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. We're so glad to have you back and to be back and joined by the brother, Ryan Eaney. Ryan, welcome back to the show, my friend.
1: We're back, baby. I mean, I'm back. You're
0: back. It was a trade for a player to be named later. D D Love has gone on sabbatical. We lost you in, in the uh, cornfields of Iowa for a few weeks, and somehow, is D-Love in, in Iowa too now? Is that, would trade you for him?
1: I, I don't know. I think the older members of the podcast have to go on regular sabbaticals to keep up our energy levels, to keep up with the youngster in, uh, and yourself, Michael. But it's good to be back, and it's good to be on the best coast, um, moving from the nation's capital, cross country to a undisclosed location on the west coast uh very happy to be here happy to be back on the pod missed you and uh still miss d love can't wait to get him back ahead of the season and uh miss all of our listeners out there
0: it is indeed good to be back and as you mentioned d love will be joining us here shortly in just a few weeks as he uh wraps up a few other items in his life but uh a lot has gone down here in the last few months since the uh milwaukee bucks uh you know celebrated their championship uh we had free agency we had the nba draft and now before we know it because of another second condensed offseason we're just a short month away from the beginning of the regular season so i thought it made sense to play a fun game called what were they thinking we'll discuss a (laughs) few different teams and 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 digest what the general manager of that said team was thinking when they made the moves they made so maybe they were thinking maybe they weren't thinking we'll we'll see here so so first and foremost i think we're going to start with brad stevens the newly appointed general manager Of the Boston Celtics Uh, A number of moves The Boston Celtics made this offseason They reacquired Al Horford who was I think considered Washed a few years ago but has Now come full circle Uh, They also reacquired Enos Cantor So it's a real reunion tour On the front line (laughs) in Boston Uh, They also acquired Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder uh, On the I think the red tag Special at Goodwill they got Dennis For for about 50% off uh, they did have to part ways with Evan Fournier, a midseason pickup from last year, uh, along with trading Kemba Walker to Oklahoma City and ultimately <clears throat> signing with the New York Knicks. So, Ryan, tell me, what was Brad Stevens thinking this offseason?
1: He was thinking, yes, now I get to pick the players. This is great. <laughs> 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 I, it's, a, it's really fascinating because you don't always see it where a coach becomes – you know, becomes a GM and changes seats. I mean, it, it does happen. Like you know, Jerry West was coaching the Lakers and kind of in different coaching spots there in the early '80s and then late '70s, and then he moves into the front office. And so it, it has happened. You know, Bird goes from running, you know, being the coach to being the general manager. So it, it does happen. But in in this way, where someone you know took over for a very powerful GM. I mean, Danny Ainge had a great run. He'd been there for a long time. He Really ran the show, made the choices. I'm sure Brad Stevens had input, but it was it was Danny's choices. And so to see a coach come in and you can tell who did he really want, to, who did he like, which players did he actually like? And I think some of them were obvious and some were surprises. Um, you know, I think he clearly got tired of Kemba and Kemba's kind of inability to be healthy and just kind of not being the same player, uh, and just his inability to play defense and sort of the modern game. Um, so that was probably an easy decision for him, even giving up the draft pick to um, and taking back Horford. I think he, you know, he likes he likes having Horford back. He likes having Enos Cantor back. He likes uh, that center combo. Um, it is interesting. They also, you know, they re-signed or extended, you know, Robert Williams, um, which was was great. I think he was a guy we talked a lot about during the podcast during the year of just you know being a really unique special. Uh, talent, uh, who was productive in limited minutes, but someone who may struggle with some of the more sophisticated elements of modern NBA basketball, you know, on defense specifically. Um, but I, I was actually surprised that he, you know, immediately resigned him because my sense from last year was that um, Stevens didn't wasn't playing Williams enough. So the fact that he was he he spearheaded resigning him, I think, at a good number, like it wasn't. It's a reasonable number for him, particularly his age, but still that that was a priority. Kind of, quit, you know, sort of countered some of the narrative during the season of maybe Brad Stevens, um, you know, didn't want to play him, didn't trust him, and the front office was pushing for him. And that's one of the reasons they traded Daniel Tice um, during the head of the playoffs, which never really made sense. It seemed like kind of a weak argument. Um But yeah, I mean, all these moves, I mean, he, he was sort of trader Danny. He made tons of moves, you know, the Richardson moves a little bit harder to understand, particularly the extra year they gave him. But again, it gives them another wing. Um, and obviously getting Schroeder like they did, you know, is really the steal of the free agents season. Um, it's not even clear he'll start over, you know, Marcus smart, but it's, it's, you know, he's, you know, very talented player. And he's still only 28 years old. So, um, so he did, he did really well in terms of kind of getting more talent, deepening his bench, putting more guys around um, Brown and Tatum. Um, and I think if – you know, I, I like what they've done. I like their approach. So I guess it's either Brad Stevens or he just took a long summer sabbatical like I did and he just let um, – Mike Zarin take over and do all the things Danny Ainge wouldn't let him do. I'm not sure his assistant GM. I mean, if I was in charge, that's what I, I mean. It could be the greatest job in like NBA history just to like let Mike Mike Zarin make all the moves and you just kind of sign off of them and take credit for them. Uh, Mike zarin's their assistant GM or I'm um, not sure what his title is right now. He worked alongside Danny Ainge for many years and now he's back um he stayed and is, is working closely with Brad Stevens. So, so I like what they did. I think the, only, the the, the part, it's hard to understand a little bit. They have a lot of depth is sort of how the Horford Williams canter minutes will be, you know, shake out. Cause to your point, I mean, Horford playing the four doesn't really work anymore at his age. Um, but maybe they can find a way to do that. I
0: think I think Sixers fans agree with yeah, that assessment. And right. that was two years ago. Right,
1: right, right, right. Exactly. So I, I think if you're Brad Stevens, you know what he's thinking is he needed more guys. Like he didn't have enough guys. They had like five guys who could play. Now they have eight or nine. Um, and it just gives them it, it gives Imeodoka, you know, more uh, more weapons and more flexibility in how he decides to coach his team this year.
0: I think this may be a case where you know sometimes as a we're both parents, you 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 deal with your kids, your own kids, all the time, and sometimes it's harder to have patience with your own kids. But when you don't have to take care of them all the <laughs> time, true. it's a little easier. Yeah, that's true. So, he- <laughs> so when, when when Brad Stevens resigns, Marcus Smart, who I I I swear. 25 different games this year. You saw Brad Stevens shaking his head on the sideline at the fifth contested Marcus smart three of the game. Uh, I think Stevens, as he separates from the day-to-day operations of coaching the actual team, he seems to be more comfortable sticking email Yadoka with some of the more challenging situations that he, he's, he maybe didn't want to deal with himself as the coach, but You know, I I do think he's created a level of depth that that team did not have. I mean, (laughs) you you have the Tatum and Brown guys. Certainly those two guys are ascendant as kind of stars up and coming in the league. But to put some of this level of depth around him, I mean, it is it is certainly interesting. But there was some kind of those eyebrow raising moves where you kind of go, man, I I sure seem like you didn't want to coach these guys. And now all of a sudden, no, exactly. Extending them. He went from the like, yeah, it's a good analogy.
1: He went from being the dad to the grandfather, right? It's like, oh, Robert Williams, give him a lollipop. He's a great he's a great kid. (laughs) He may never show up on time, but he's let's give him a noogie and just uh, he can sleep in all he wants. He's the best. I love that Robert Williams guy. Because you're right. When he was coaching Marcus Smart, I mean, there were so many looks of just like, what am I doing? Um, And I think, too, it's, it's, um, I think for Brad Stevens, I think going, you know, getting a chance to go and um, move to the GM role, it's just a better, I don't know, from my perspective, unless you're a former player who has lived on the road like your entire life. Like Chauncey Bill got interviewed about his job and he was interested in front office work. And then he just missed being um, with the team and just doing that every day. And And he's used to being gone eight months out of the year and traveling. It's sort of like a sales guy who's used to be on the road all the time and then COVID hits and he can't travel anymore and he's stuck at home all the time. And he's like, what am I doing? Where something like Brad Stevens is like, no, I want to be at home. Like He still has to hit the road and go to Europe and go to Africa and go to all the college games and Tournaments and high school tournaments and everything. But, um, I think he's just going to have a much higher quality of life. And I just would be ready for him to make more moves. I I don't think he, I I think he, um, he has a lot of confidence in himself. And even though they didn't reach the pinnacle during his run as coach, they still have a lot of success. And I think, and I think he has the same buy in from the, um, ownership. It appears that Danny H did, although he hasn't really doesn't have necessarily the credibility to get that. I think that's their model. That's the approach they take. So I think he's going to have a lot of um, flexibility there. So I wouldn't also be surprised if some of these contracts and these re-signs are more to be available to then move them in other, other situations. Um, because I, I think there's, we talk about it a lot, there's a certain reality to managing the cap where if you're at or near the cap, like you can't go replace guys that you can resign. You can resign to go over the cap and you can't sign new guys to replace them. So I think some ways if you can make sure you're getting guys on competitive contracts that are reasonable for their um, kind of kind of who they are, then that can help you in terms of making moves down the road. So I think they're going to be good. I really like Adoka. He's, Adoka, he's like a Portland guy. I mean, he's like the Portland guy. Um, and he's getting the gang back together. Damon Stott and my other guys he's bringing on his staff. Um, yeah, you know, he's just—I think he's really good. And I think someone like him coming out of the Spurs, you know, uh, community, and then also his experience with Nash last year, and his experience in the NBA as a player, uh, a role player, but someone who you know really built out his career. I think, I think it could be really good. That was a really smart move um so it'll be fun to see I think I think they're on a good track so if I was you know if I'm Brad Stevens I'm you know thinking I feel pretty good about this and I'm also feeling good about that first road trip the Celtics go on and he can just go home and sleep at night in his bed so I think he's gonna be <laughs> and have breakfast with his kids So I think he I think he scored one for the good guys on that one
0: he sure did, and one player that did, couldn't survive, Dad Brad Stevens or Grandpa Brad Stevens, was Tristan Thompson, who who got banished to Sacramento. So, totally, no, it's
1: a great point. Like it was like he just that's exactly right. He just was like the moment he took over, it was like get rid of all the people I like and don't like. It, I guess it would be like someone who like is on the management team of a company, and then the CEO leaves, and then they pick kind of a peer of the group and say okay well he was like the second command but we'll make him in charge and then it's like but it's like, he's going to make his team the, what he wants he's going to like yeah. oh the, that CFO is kind of not the strongest I'm going to get rid of them get, bring my own person in and do it I just hope it's a little better than Jimmy Lake when Jimmy Lake took over and he got rid of the offensive oh, coordinator and we yikes. were like yes this is great and then it all went downhill from there so hopefully Tristan Thompson doesn't turn into an all-star in Sacramento but I think
0: uh,
1: <laughs> I think there's a better chance of, of that not happening
0: I mean, Northern Cal, you know, Jake Hainer, Tristan Thompson, Uh, we'll see.
1: Yeah, the Husky Husky subtext. I'm trying to avoid it, but I can't help it. Yeah, we'll continue on. Can't help it. Okay,
0: in our next uh, edition of What Were They Thinking? And this is going to be a big question. Neil Olshay and the Portland Trailblazer. Oh, man. So, Neil Olshay, our Don't listen, D-Love.
1: Don't listen. Please promise Uh, us you're not listening uh, on your sabbatical. Maybe.
0: Maybe what weren't they thinking is maybe a better question for this one, but we'll stick with uh, the Blazers. They signed uh, marquee free agent Cody Zeller. Um, I think that's really going to get Dame's juices rolling. They also made a trade for Larry Nance Jr., sending out Derek Jones. Uh, the Zach Collins experiment came, uh, marquee trade opportunities Zach Collins. Actually, I think he was in every fake trade in the last three years. Uh, he signed for uh, an incentive-laden contract in, in San Antonio. Carmelo Anthony is reuniting the banana boat in L.A. Uh, and the, maybe the biggest signing of the offseason was uh, extend or re-signing Norman Powell yep. to a max contract. So, obviously, uh, there's a lot of fringe movement there. I mean, overall, the bigger kind of context of this offseason for the Portland Trailblazers is Damian Lillard's sort of you know, kind of one foot in, one foot out in terms of his dissatisfaction with the progress of the franchise. So let me start. If I'm in Neil Olshay's shoes, my strategy here is largely (laughs) contingent on the fact that Damian Lillard is just a good guy. That is my strategy. That's what I'm thinking. Dame, you're such a great guy. You love Portland. You love the Blazers. You even probably love me, even to a certain degree. And I am going to rely on your faithfulness, your commitment. You don't want to be James Harden. You don't want to come to camp thirty pounds overweight. You don't want to mail it in to the point where Demarcus Cousins is complaining about your effort level. <laughs> you, yeah, want John to John, in-
1: John Wall becomes the leader of the team in your stead. That's exactly the, that's the relative standards we're talking about. Yeah, that's the gentleman C so, minus on that one. Yeah,
0: that, and I really believe that I'm putting together a more balanced and depth-oriented team that's going to compete for for a middle-tier playoff spot in the Western Conference, and that gets us into the playoffs, and that gets us into a puncher's chance to see how this goes. The conference is wide open. Uh, There's obviously a lot of talent, you know, 10 or 11 teams deep going into this year, but there's also a lot of injury potential. There's a lot of changes that can happen. The Clippers have Kawhi out all year. The Lakers are... Older than me, so uh, I, I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity here for us to improve on the margins. The fact that we got Enos Cantor and Carmelo Anthony out of our backline defense is is addition by subtraction. So I don't know, Ryan, what do you say? Is Neil O'Shea thinking straight here?
1: Yeah, I think he's he's thinking he's thinking that he's um he's playing the the hand he's been dealt the best he can. Um, I think he's thinking and hoping that there's no injuries to his top six players. Um, and I think he's thinking that to your point, the West is wide open. And so, you know, if they can, if they can hit it and they hit the right timing in place, then, and make another run, which I've done before, if they can make a run to the conference finals again, then, you know, maybe that sort of calms Lillard down a little bit in terms of his frustration with everything. And he's counting, he's thinking that Chauncey Billups can sort of manage the personalities and lead in a way that by the end Stotts wasn't able to do. And I think he's also responding and maybe overreacting to Stotts because I know he was very frustrated. It appeared that, you know, in terms of the rotations that Stotts was playing and who he was playing, how he's playing them, uh, particularly Derek Jones Jr. who, you know, O'Shea traded, but I think there was some, you know, it was like, I gave you these guys, you need to play these guys and some tension there. So I think he's basically just said, Chauncey, I've given you six guys. <laughs> and you're gonna, you know, you gotta ride them. So it's really counting on Nurkish not getting hurt, like the other guys having um, you know, healthy seasons. And the the, the issue though is just, you know, what Dave Deckard from Blazers Edge told us, you know, you know, earlier, you know, last season when we interviewed him that you know, Olshay has not been willing to make a sort of bigger move um, over the last three or four years to kind of rejigger the team. And I think that would most likely be, um, um, you know, keeping keeping Lillard um, and but sort of, you know, breaking up the backcourt and, um, you know, finding another place for CJ. And he's just been unwilling to do that if, because he has the – Sort of ownership over it's his guy that he found and tr- and he turned into a great player. But really, they just added, you know, they had the Lillard McCollum Nurkic group, and they've really added three, you know, three role players who are all really good role players. And somebody's in Powell is more than a role player, at least on the offensive end, but you know Covington and Nance are role players, and so he's added these like three good role players to that to that trio, but. You know his view. What he was thinking for the last few years is that that's all it's going to take to get us over the hump and continue to be, you know, a real contender or be a contender. Um, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, I'm well, hopeful let me tell this. you though. Yeah,
0: I, I, I called Daryl and I told him, Daryl, you can have <laughs> CJ. I'll take Ben and a pick off your hands, no problem. And Daryl, I don't know, he didn't go for that. He he told me he had to call into Golden State for four first round picks. So yeah, well I, I I told him where that offer will stand and he can come back to me when he's good and ready. So that is uh that I I mean, I I, I say this in jest, but I do think there's got to be a case here where at this point he's looking at the reality and understanding that He's going to have to go big game hunting at some point here. And I think he's going to, you know, I think you're right that he's had this unwillingness to sort of break up the band. And I think largely there's some there's a good basis for why not to do that. I mean, you know, there's a high probability that they're going to bottom out if they do, you know, move on from the Nurkic and CJs of the world. But at the same time, if you have the opportunity to go get a bona fide player like Ben Simmons, and again, we'll see what happens. I, I think Philly you know, is a topic for another conversation. But, you know, that has to be in, in Olshe's kind of mirror here to understand how he can position himself into that, right? What What's the least he can give up in order to get kind of that level of talent back and pair alongside a guy like Lillard? Because I think those two guys, again, besides, you know, every time someone's complained about there's only one ball and you have these multiple ball handler guys – it seemingly worked out more, much more often than it hasn't, right? I mean, really, the, the challenge more is often around spacing. And again, if you have Simmons with a player like Lillard, spacing becomes less of a problem. So, you know, I, I I'm if I'm going to go glass half full here, I think O'Shea is sort of biding his time for that type of opportunity. And we'll see where Mori lands in terms of what to do with Simmons going forward.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I just think the issue is he's given up these picks and he's sort of – more marginal trades. I mean, I think he paid the money for Powell. You know, it, it, he gave up Trent and, and gave. He wanted to have, you know, Powell paying more money than Trent paying less money. I think that makes sense to based on where they're at and kind of Powell's ability to play small forward. Um, but then the other two moves they made, they've given up picks, and I think you know Covington um, is really interesting because. You know, he's someone that looks, like, we, we think about him as a, um, you know, as a, uh, you know, someone who's just kind of, like, the perfect role player, and, and we talked a little bit about him last year, just kind of figuring out that he, um, you know, that he definitely had some on-the-ball defensive issues, Um they gave a few first round picks for him, even though I think one of them is more marginal, but it's, he's really not a good offensive player, like he shoots, you know, 40% from the field, Um, he can shoot the three, although it's sort of bounced up and down, I mean, it's not like he's, earlier in his career he was up near 40%, now he's, now he's been lower. I mean, last year he was at thirty-eight percent, so that was that was good. Um, but he really is op- offers you that on offense, um, and he doesn't really even shoot two-point field goals. He doesn't get to the line, um, so he's he's really offering you like positional versatility in terms of being able to drop down and then being like a good defender. But I think he's kind of turned more into a team defender as opposed to we've about sort of a one-on-one defender. He reminds me a little bit. I was, you know, um, Norm MacDonald, um, as I'm sure most of our audience knows, passed away recently. And, um, obviously very sad and a huge loss. Um, but it did allow like to go me to go back and look at some of the things he had done, um, in his interviews. And he actually referred to this cause he's, Has many famous sort of comedy um, bits or interviews, or um, including at a roast for Bob Saget. He was, you know, famous for his kind of the way he approached the roast, and I recommend you watch it. It's very, you know, unique and just like totally Norm Macdonald. But he he referenced this um, roast that Patrice O'Neill did. He was a famous comedian who passed away maybe ten years ago, but he did a roast and. I agree, recommend you watch it. It was the Charlie Sheen roast, and he is, like, brutal, like, brutally honest with people um, and, like, so direct. And it, 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 all that to say, remind, he was making fun of Jeff Ross. who's like, the insult comedian or kind of, like, the the roast comedian. And he, he he said that he was, like... He said that Jeff Ross was, like, the Bigfoot of comedy because, like, you've... You, like, his humor is, like, the Bigfoot of comedy because, like, you've heard that he's really funny, but, like... You've never seen him actually be really funny. (laughs) And it reminded me of Covington because it's like you think of him as being like this really good, like, oh, if he's your fourth guy, you're like going to be an incredible team. But then you like look at him more and you're like, does he really offer enough with that? Because I think Norman Powell offers a lot. Like I think he's great, like for what they're doing. I mean, it's not the perfect fit in terms of like him trying to, you know, make up for the lack of defensive prowess in the backcourt but like you know i i think they're giving him what they've getting something from him and that's great and i I do think nance gives them a lot of flexibility um, in terms of where he can play assuming he comes off the bench so I, i i did like that move relatively speaking but i i just i do think deckard's kind of critique of like you know really O'Shea missed the missed the window to to sort of you know make the move and I think he you know cuz they made the conference finals a few years ago he sort of bought into that um and it's like the classic thing and it's it's like I think it's Mike Lombardi from like the from the NFL who says like the most important thing is to evaluate your own players and your own talent and your own situation and be brutally honest with that and Sort of the fearless inventory of your own team and talent and kind of where they're actually at, and he never did that. So I think that's yeah. where that's where they're at. That's why they're where they're at now.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of they feel like the most unmade team still. They, they there seems like there's some there's a shoe or two to drop, uh, whereas some of these teams feeling. Like they've really established what their rotation is going to be, what their roster is going to look like, and there's not—it's going to be really fringy stuff. Whereas Portland seems liable to have a, a, an entire sort of overhaul, you know, early in the year. You know, particularly if they come out of the shoot slow, right? If if the if if the word around Lillard gets a little bit more uncomfortable, um, it'll be interesting to see. So, um, okay, let's move on. Ryan, you are Rob Palenka. Tell us what you were thinking when you decided to join an over forty rec league at the YMCA. <laughs> oh, what? Wait. Oh, this is the Western Conference favorite, Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. Yes. So you you added Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza. Yes. Uh, reunited for a third time. It's good to be together. Yes, White Howard, Wayne Ellington, yes, I was thinking, DeAndre Jordan.
1: I am Rob polika and I'm thinking a few things. One, I miss shooting wide open three pointers back in college, playing with the Fab Five. That was that was awesome. Roll with the Fab <laughs> Five. Even winning a championship with the Lakers pales in comparison to be in the wingman for uh, Jalen, Jawan, and, we- and Chris Webber. And Jimmy, See, and, I always, and I always
0: thought he resented the Fab Five because he was sort of big man on campus, and then all those big oh no guys no no, up, I think it was replaced him.
1: It's, it's possible. I mean, seeing what he did to Magic Johnson makes you think, okay, maybe that was, maybe he did try. Maybe he was the one who planted the evidence against Chris Webber. Maybe it's all, it all goes back to him. <laughs> maybe he, he did do that. He was the secret agent in there. Um, so yeah, and I'm also thinking how amazing it is that I was able to. Stop becoming an agent. How thankful I am that NBA teams decided they actually wanted to hire agents as GMs after Bob Myers worked out well for the Golden State Warriors. So, uh, So I'm very happy that I'm the Lakers general manager. And yeah, I'm thinking that... I have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So as long as they're health if they're healthy, basically nothing else I do matters. And if they're not healthy, then we're screwed anyway. So basically nothing <laughs> so I do matters. So I could just I could just make a run for it. I'm also thinking that um you know Le- LeBron and Davis and other players in the league think Russell Westbrook is a lot better than sort of more like like, you know statistical analysis or more highly engaged fans would ever think. Um, It was sort of reminds me of, I think it was Bill Simmons was talking to, you know, some other former NBA players and they were just so definitive that Kobe Bryant was better than Duncan. Right. And wherever you end up in that, like, like Josiah Heaney would agree with that. He thinks Kobe Bryant is the greatest player of all time. So, And and definitely RIP to Kobe, but it it was just, you know, I think a lot of people would say, well, Duncan, you know, he was the best. But I think there's this, like, if you actually play in the league, then I think you have a little bit different view. And so I think there's a value placed on Westbrook relative to other people. So I I don't think, I, I think I was thinking, like, he's someone I can get. I don't have a lot of options. And LeBron and Anthony Davis will be happy about this and I can fill out the rest of my spots pretty easily both with young guys or with with veterans and while everyone's talking about Carmelo and Howard and Rondo and DeAndre and everybody else I I think if I'm thinking about this I'm thinking that you know Wayne Ellington Malik Monk Kendrick Nunn like those are the guys that I'm actually the most excited about and those are the guys that I feel like you know if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy You know, they're going to actually be the most important, um, most important guys, at least in the regular season, in terms of driving things forward. Um, And I'm also thinking that, you know, Coach Vogel better get comfortable pissing off, you know, NBA Hall of Famers and All-Stars because (laughs) some of these guys are washed and they shouldn't play, really. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, So. And I'm thinking I live in Southern California and, you know, I get to go. I think he probably lives near El Segundo, right? You think he probably lives near the practice center on the beach and just kind of, sure. you know, heads in for games only into uh, LA Live. So he's living, he's living his best life. So
0: wait, I mean, talk about a charmed life, right? He comes in and he basically shanks magic, becomes the, the, the big man on campus in the front office, and then all of a sudden wins a title in the bubble right and so then he finally gets to rebuild the the organization around what he looks for you know both big stars get hurt and uh, you know i think he's kind of looking at it and realizes you know what you know how do i rebuild this again on the fly i mean the ability of lebron james to pull you know players to himself i, I just think cannot be underrated enough i mean you, you see obviously you know, play guys are chasing I And mean, Patty mill signed with the nets. Right. So there's obviously, there's always some semblance of ring chasing. There has been for a long time, but it just seems like the, the roster creation of this team is just at a whole another level in terms of, uh, the, the amount of guys who have come together. I mean, Malik monk signing there. And again, Malik monk has his warts, but you know, it's a pretty interesting player to sign for, you know, basically a prove it contract coming off of his rookie deal. Um, you know, in, in in Los Angeles, right? I mean, Kendrick Nunn Similarly, you know, it's not like these are these are big dollar contracts. And in, in, in large part, I mean, I think the most interesting thing they did was what something they didn't do, which they basically chose between Horton Tucker yes. and Caruso, yes. and let Caruso walk to Chicago. I A lot mean,
1: of pressure on Tucker, man. A lot of pressure I, on him.
0: I I mean, you know, the 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 bus family went El Chipo and made him choose between between those two guys, which both would have been, you know solid rotation players at least and instead you know they had kind of had to pick and 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 obviously went with horton tucker instead of caruso so uh I, i'm curious to see how i mean really the depth holds up honestly i mean i think there's a liable to have a lot of injuries just because of the age factor here but um you know it's at a certain level i think you're right you know lebron ad you know how do those two guys function together with Westbrook? You know, will Westbrook eventually defer? Ever? I mean, is there anybody in the league who defer to? I mean, if you want to defer to LeBron, then I really there's no one. So, I'm curious to see how those dynamics play out.
1: Well, the interesting part is that Le- I think LeBron actually is is he's a little bit like Durant, like he's a killer, but he's also like. A basketball player, and obviously LeBron's is like one of the greatest passers of all time. So even when he got criticized back early in his career, you know in the finals, I think it was against the Spurs, and um, maybe in the Conference Finals with the Pistons in 07 when he drove in and kicked it to Daniel Marshall in the corner for a three, as opposed to going up the rim, and to get just you know, Diane Marshall of course missed it, but I don't blame LeBron. I blame Danny Ferry for the fact that it was Daniel Marshall in the corner catching that pass as opposed <laughs> to someone that was actually a good basketball player at that time. But you know, they've always, they always share the ball and, and Westbrook doesn't do that. So it'll be, it will be interesting. And Davis is that way too, right? Like he's, he kind of fits in too. He's not, um, it's just a very interesting dynamic in a way he could fit in well with those guys because of his attitude and approach, but you know, I mean, it would be cool if, like, you know, they could play him at center on, the like, the backup lineups and everything and, you know, try some creative things with him. But I think it's mostly, like, can, you know, Monk, Nunn – I mean, who knows if Monk's going to be in the rotation, but with all the veterans, but, you know, Nunn, Horton Tucker, like, can those guys kind of create offense and hopefully, you know, shoot? um, You know, Ellington, like, can those guys get in the rotation and play and and, like – play the defense that they've built the last few years with the other kind of group they had before they transitioned this, this summer. And can they, can they repeat that? I, I, the, going back to magic though, Polinka, it, I mean, magic made one of the greatest mistakes ever. Like all he had to do was just kind of chill out and just wait. Cause you know, they got Dave, they had Davis, you know, you know, they had him, he was coming and, like, they were building something. They Maybe they won the title last year. That They definitely had some good fortune in doing that. But it's just, I know, like, Polinka, you know, went behind him and, you know, all the drama and everything. But I also think he didn't really like, you know, he's like an entrepreneur now. He doesn't like kind of like having to report to anyone or have any accountability. He just wants to do what he wants to do every day. And, you know, why would he want to have to show up and kind of... Do it, uh, even though he's, he's numbers. yeah, even though it's like the bus is like his second family. It's like does he really want to do that? Um, But yeah, it was just it was so strange because he could have easily just stuck around and then gotten credit, you know, for um, the title and bringing the title back to L.A. It just yeah, it's really it's really just I mean he just got fed up, sort of like when he left ESPN with all the Bill Simmons stuff with. Will Bond and kind of all that drama. He kind of has done this, but it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's too bad in a way because it would have been cool to see him be kind of the figurehead of that, getting them back on track.
0: No, certainly. Certainly. And I do think you hit on, you hit the Kendrick Nunn piece, and I think he's going to be a big player here. I mean, it's, you know, for those of you who haven't watched a lot of, of Miami Heat games, I mean, coming in as like a, you know, an older player, but basically, I mean we forget he was first team all rookie just the you know, the in the pandemic year, right? Yeah. The the bu- in the bubble year. Yep. I mean that was a rookie team where Tyler Hero, you know, eviscerated the league in the playoffs, but but none actually was first team all rookie and Hero was second team all rookie. So it's like none is a guy that can play. I was actually sort of surprised that and he seemingly fell out of favor in Miami. Maybe got a little too big for his britches, but you know he can shoot it a bit, and he can obviously get up and push and and, and score the basketball, which I think for you know a roster like uh, the, like the Lakers, I mean it, it, he's going to provide a lot of value. I think he's going to play a lot. I mean, I just I think the young legs piece of this is is really going to um, provide a lot of opportunities. So I, I did I did like that pickup. I mean, frankly, I was laughing with everyone else when the a few of these early moves happened whether it was westbrook or a few of the early signings and then i think the pieces they put together around the rest of of this older roster actually to me again do do seem to have a lot of value that um, you know provides a, a a little bit more runway for for the lakers than just you know let it be lebron let it be ad kind of thing
1: i mean i was bummed that they. Sort of just dropped Gasol. I mean, it sounded like he actually didn't want to come back after kind of last season. Like, who knows the full story <laughs> there? But it's just weird to me they didn't really kind of embrace him. I know they got really frustrated, sort of blamed him in part for some of the struggles offensively they had. But I
0: just think he's a surly old Spanish dude that didn't wouldn't kiss the ring, man. I mean, yeah. you watch the way those that, that team functioned last year. Yeah. I mean, he, he seemed to admire the way LeBron played basketball. But but the the pomp and circumstance. I mean, he's like grit and grind through and through, right? I mean, that's that's what's so fascinating to me. He just seemed like he kind of got surly and old, and was like, you know what? I'm not I'm not here for this.
1: No, that's that's totally fair. I just I felt like he took you know he took a lot of heat from just for like some of their struggles because he's not really a you know a, a sort of kind of dynamic offensive player even to the extent he used to be but it just seemed like even in his older state he still had a lot of value add in terms of when you actually analyze things in terms of defense and sharing the ball and those such of things so it's just kind of like a strange I think you're probably right it just wasn't a culture fit and um, but it's 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 like it's just too bad because it seemed like um, if you're, if I was Polinka, I'd be thinking I want to keep him and make that work. But yeah, I mean, it is the personal. The personal really matters, especially in the NBA. So that's probably it.
0: Um. Okay. Moving on. Yes.
1: Yeah, so Michael, you are, um, you know, the podcast mascot, Daryl Morey. Um <laughs> <laughs> we refer to him as my. Well, it's either that or. Uh, Denver Nuggets general manager, Tim Connolly. I'm not sure who it is in terms of GM. We talk about the most, (laughs) but you are Daryl Morey, uh, Daryl Morey. You had a quiet off season and in one, (laughs) in one way, um, there wasn't necessarily a lot of, um, you know, changes or moves just kind of, kind of keeping the core together, you know, besides getting, um, his MVP candidates, arch enemy as his backup. Um, Other than that, not a lot of new things. Um, Get a shooter out of you know Utah in uh, Niang, I guess. Uh, So there's a couple things they did, but the big thing is what they haven't done yet. Uh, Ben Simmons still part of the team. Um, So,
0: well, what was Daryl? What were you
1: Daryl? What were you thinking, Michael? Daryl, whatever your name is, what were you thinking?
0: I'll tell you what I was thinking, Ryan. Last year. You know, before the season started, right, we come off of the bubble. You know, we make a run. Obviously, there's some dysfunction going on in the Houston Rockets franchise. You know, Tillman Fertitta came in a few years back, and we just never got along. I wasn't his guy. He wasn't mine. And I found the opportunity to really go kind of continue the process and take it to its natural fruition in Philadelphia. And I thought I was leaving one terrible situation for a much improved situation in <laughs> Philly. And fast forward 1 year, you ask me what I'm thinking, how did this become such a cluster? How did I end up with Joel Embiid healthy? The biggest question mark in taking this job. I indeed have Joel Joel Embiid ascending as one of as a top 5 NBA player, number 2 in the MVP ballot this year. And instead all my problems center around Ben Simmons. I can't understand why he won't answer our calls. He won't practice his jump shooting outside of some Instagram videos. You know, I need this guy to to actually develop his game and instead he won't even touch a basketball outside of when he's being filmed. So <laughs> I'm trying to convince the whole league that there's nothing wrong. That is not going very successfully so far. So I'm at a little bit of a rock in a hard place and my analytics are not pointing me in any direction on what to do here. So I'm thinking I'm kind of effed, and I'm in in a tough spot here as I enter a few weeks until training camp when Ben Simmons has told me he's not coming to training camp, and the rest of the league knows he's not coming to training camp. So (laughs) I I don't know. I'm going to ask you, Ryan, what should I do? Because I feel like I'm in deep trouble.
1: I think you should – Look back at the experience you avoided in Houston, like you, you noted, and I think you should do the opposite of what they did. And I think you should just wait. I think you should you should not have any false deadline that he needs to be back and you need to trade him before the season starts. Um I think you backed yourself into the corner. Um again, like he he wanted to come on, he wanted to kind of Make it work. He he knew his value um was already lessened, right? Like a year ago or when the season started, his value had started to lessen even from the year two previously because of some of his his weakness around shooting and scoring and attacking. So I mean, in a way, a little bit like O'Shea, like kind of waited too long to make a a bigger move. And obviously, like we all saw the problem. And I think someone like Daryl Morey is unwilling to give in and and sort of take less than what he wants for that. Now he's being forced. You're being forced, Daryl Michael, to <laughs> to, to do that. But he's going to make it as painful as possible for himself and for the team. Like he's going to let he's going to let it go past a point where everyone else would be like, "Okay, dude, you need to do this." Like he's going to keep. He's going to keep waiting. Now, will he actually get anything more for him at that point? I just, I don't know. Because I think he needs, he wants to get a really good player back for him. And so I, I, I don't know if if your plan, Daryl, of kind of waiting to see if, you know, things go south with Lillard or Bradley Beal um, and then getting them. But that's not going to happen in, in preseason. You know, unless something changes from what we understand right now, but it could happen a month into the season, right? To your point earlier about Lillard and Portland, like if they come out really struggling, you know, why is he going to wait around the year? Like, why wouldn't he say time is now? And then instead of that conversation about Simmons, you know, to the Blazers for McCollum, it's for for Lillard. So I I think he's going to wait. I think he's gonna like push it out. I don't think he's gonna make him come back to the team. I think he's like we're gonna trade you, but we're not gonna just do it, um, because they they like what else? I I don't know. I mean, what's the what's what's even on the table in terms of like I mean, what have you seen that's actually like seems like a realistic thing? I mean, he has his demands, and there's like the reality. Like, what are you seeing? I mean, what 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 kind of like seems like the most likely scenario to you right now?
0: Well, I think that's your point. That's so accurate. Is is you know making a trade now is literally the bottom of the barrel in terms of simmons value right and in some ways keeping him away from the team is actually the best outcome here i mean i think to delay his comeback to not even have him come back at all with the idea that yes you are getting traded but in some ways you know there's going to be teams that are going to talk themselves into something that's more viable than what what's being offered today which again i mean i haven't heard of anything that's even borderline realistic i mean I don't remember. I mean, Ben Simmons it was a, was a fringe All NBA guy, like this just the year before last. Obviously, his playoff limitations continually sort of stink up the place in terms of how comfortable you are building a franchise around him or having him be one of those core players. But he, he can certainly play. I mean, he's an offensive creator, right? He's, he, he's assertive with the basketball. And, I mean, he's a defensive whiz. So it's, there, there's a lot of value he brings to the table. But, you know, in modern in the modern NBA, I still think that there's some reasonable skepticism about what type – what's your ceiling as a team if he's one of your elite players, right? And that's, that's going to continue to depress the value that he, he gets – but I just think that ship is sailed. I mean, I think Daryl knows well enough that in terms of what's a, what is the sunk cost here, there's no coming back. There's no rebuilding the value except with the with the exception of time. And over time I think you eventually you'll land on somebody who talks himself into it. But there are there are ways away from that. And that's the, the level of uncomfortability here, you know, for, for Daryl and for the, the franchise, particularly with Embiid, who as much as he's been healthy, is still kind of a ticking time bomb. I mean, I think that's the biggest concern if I'm in Daryl's shoes right now is I need something of value and I need something of value now that can contribute now. Right. And that's where the Lillard Beal pipe dreams make so much sense. Because again, you're like, I, I got I gotta bead. Let's just say I fingers crossed for the next three or four years. Right. And past that, you know, there, there it, it, this thing can blow up any day now. And then we're back in the process in large part, because this is, this is the single crown jewel of the entire process. And so, you know, you know other if it's not that plan then i'll go back to what you said is do what i did in houston which means i mean utah has an open gm spot so maybe i'll go there ah. <laughs> no i i just i i'm i am very curious to see how this plays out because i do think it can have substantial you know i i think it'd have a lot of ramifications throughout the league depending on how this happens because you know in some ways simmons as as flawed as he is can still be a really meaningful player yeah and he um, going, and to, into the season. yeah,
1: yeah. And to your point i mean if maury had to be so mad at how Embiid and doc rivers responded to that game oh
0: it's the worst
1: because they totally screwed him and screwed the team in terms of getting value from him we all saw it like i don't think it changed it that much like obviously like even if Ben Simmons like tries to dunk that one basket, you know, instead of passing it to tie, tie bolt into the, the game um, against the Hawks, like it would have been like even that not happen. Like, a couple of things don't happen. I feel like it would have had an impact on people's perception of him. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think the Maury Hinky view of the world is you just you try and find undervalued assets. He has an undervalued asset. <laughs> like he like the world values Ben Simmons less than he is. Um, you could argue that if you're trying to win a championship, he's not as valuable to you. Um, but for the other 20 teams in the league, like he's incredibly valuable. He, he's valuable to everyone. I mean, he missed his first year for the number one pick, rookie of the year, then three times All Star, including third team All NBA, and the, in the, you know. I guess 1920 he's first team all defense the last two years. He got a lot of talk for being defensive player of the year. He led the league in steals recently. I mean, the guy's like, even with his weaknesses, he's incredible. He's got warts, but he's like, he's an incredible player. And, but he's undervalued so much. Like he's the type of guy that Daryl Morey would try and trade for. Like he'd be the guy trying to get him right now. If he was still in Houston, (laughs) he'd be definitely trying to get him. Because he'd be like, this is crazy. Jeremy
0: Lamb, Terrence Jones, yeah, second-round Yeah.
1: You know, if, if it was still, you know, Elton Brand was still in charge, he'd be, like, trying to rip him off and get Ben Simmons for a song and play him at center next to Harden. Like, he would do that in a heartbeat. So it's just, like, this really weird dynamic where it's, you know, he's, he's just, like, he will not – do this until he he absolutely has to. And some of it's just being okay with awkwardness. Like some people, like you see, I think, in the business world sometimes, some people are just not okay. You know, like a lot of people, we're not okay with awkwardness. We're not okay with like fighting it out. With people are just kind of like staying in an awkward situation because like you're not willing to give in. Like some people are just like, I don't want to deal with this. This is too much. Like I don't think more going to give in. I just think he's going to,
0: and that's what I'm so curious. I mean, that might be the most fascinating part to me of this whole process is how Maury deals with it. Is this? It's just a case study in his personality and how his brain works, his analytically kind of evaluating the situation. Because, you know, the Houston Rockets did the exact same thing. They literally said, we're ready to get uncomfortable. And like seven days later, he, James Harden was a Brooklyn net. So, you know, it's not like, you know, there's – I think you're right that by and large, there's the, this would be resolved before training camp because I think largely, or at least a few days into training camp, right? That sort of ultimatum typically works because people don't want the distraction and deal with the uncomfortability. And I'm not sure Maury is one of those guys who who would acqu- is going is going to ultimately acquiesce to, to any sort of urgency or f- you know fictional urgency here simply because again he's so undervalued. I mean, you know he's somewhere between probably an all-nba guy particularly for for a, a, a team trying to win a championship he's between that sort of all-nba guy and obviously where he is now um I, you know i think the i will say you asked about kind of trades that seemed interesting i know there's a few packages sort of jumping around with some mix of like buddy healed and Halliburton or fox um in sacramento that I do think there's something interesting there, especially if we're being realistic about the return that that Philly can get for Simmons at this point. I think I think Simmons is demonstrably the better player of any of those guys, but at the same time, just what you can expect in return at this point, and and in terms of players to put around Embiid, you know, a healed Halliburton situation seems pretty interesting in terms of how they could be competitive sooner rather than later. Uh, but again, I, I don't, I don't know what else is there, right? I mean, CJ and like some some stuff doesn't doesn't get you all that excited if you're Philadelphia. But even though McCollum with Embiid, I think would be awesome. I mean, we watched Seth Curry look like he was like an All NBA player in the playoffs in, in that Hawks series just a few months ago, and and CJ McCollum is is a wholly different level of player compared to Seth Curry. So um, it'll be it'll certainly be interesting to see how this transgresses because there's so, there's so many pieces of the puzzle.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he's someone who, if he was the best player on your team, you could make like, you could make the playoffs or at least the in. Like you would, you, because would, if you had him as your best player and you tried to build around him and go, we're just going to let him like, he's just going to guard the best player on deep. He's going to, he's going to play like magic in the, you know, game six of the 80 finals or, you know, against the Sixers, like he's going to play center, you know, he's got the ball in his hands. He's just going to guard whoever he wants to guard on defense, the best player, if it's a center or point guard, and then we're just going to like let everyone else fit in around him. It's just, I, I just think that had, has potential to be really special and not a championship team, but definitely a really good team. I mean, a good team at least. And I think, um, so that's what I don't understand. I think some of these teams that are like, "Oh, I'm not going to do this," are just being short-sighted. And I know part of it is all the ploy of negotiation and like you know, you're trying to like you're trying to kind of anchor people at a kind of so they feel like the compromise is, you know, a compromise even though it's really not. But yeah, when the Kings put out that they're not interested in Halliburton or Fox, I mean, I get I get it with Fox, but I don't know. I just think Ben Simmons is really, really good. Um, is
0: there a world where Maury kind of looks at the at, at the how undervalued Simmons is at this point, and Joel Embiid's injury history, and just under the radar pulls the trigger on a trade trading Embiid away?
1: Wow. I, I, um, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think even with the injury risk, it's like he's so. I mean, I think he's the most dominant offensive player in the league, right? I mean, him and Jokic and he's i mean he's behind Jokic and all the stats I mean,
0: but i mean kevin durant's probably a little disappointed in that assessment but I mean, I mean that's true
1: durant but like lebron i mean i'm just saying he's like a top five offensive player and a top five defensive player right top 10 defensive so it's like i don't know i just think you kind of have to like accept the risk and just kind of
0: i think you're right I just, I, but it I would be it,
1: it would be a mori move it would it would be a morey move um
0: I mean, it's just a more. It would be a more. A, 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 I mean, orders of magnitude more aggressive version of trading Clint Capella away and putting Russell Westbrook at center. I mean, yeah, right. It's not. It's not Simmons like the the analytics sort of like the love the love fest version of of Russell Westbrook in terms of just Maybe. frenetic, more defensively oriented rebounds, runs, passes, the yeah. whole nine yards. And, and and that's what more kind of did in is that final experiment which really unlocked westbrook i mean he really rebuilt his value in some ways as a player was putting him at center with basically you know or, or point forward or whatever yeah. it was no with exactly no, with no capella
1: yep i mean i think if you put simmons in that sort of situation the team would be really good um and you just found other guys who can actually like don't play in the middle and on offense and don't and know how to shoot and can pass. And there's a lot of guys like that in the league now. There's not many guys like Embiid. So, um, he's obviously special <laughs> and he's, it's... he's worth doing it, but it's just, that's the part I just don't get. It, it must be just that Maury is like such a, such a high standard of what he's looking for. Um, that there, no one's really wanting to like even engage with him on it. Um, But I think he will just have him stay at home. Like, I think he, he, I think that was the thing from the Rockets experience that I think everyone looked at and learned is like, if he's requested the trade, like, there's nothing you can really do. If he's going to, there's nothing you can really do about it. You can't, like, that's just where we're at right now. So the better move is just to, like, accept it and have an engagement with them and go, like, look, we can't make a trade that's crappy for us, but we also know you need to trade. And so we don't want you to get hurt or we don't want you to, like, you know, after something you don't want to do. So just like hang, hang tight and we will keep you posted and we're working on this. And we'll. And, the, and I think it'll be interesting if he does that, that will sort of like open up, potentially open up the market a little bit. Cause it'll be like, you know, it's sort of like the end of the quarter. Everyone's thinking like this deal is going to get done before the first game, right? Like he can't, he can't have go into the season like this, even the preseason like this. But if he's like, no, I'm fine. We'll just wait that I think it kind of like rejiggers things and it will be interesting to see if anyone else steps sure. up, but
0: no, I think you're right. So,
1: so. It, it does remind me a little bit at the end of at the end of Moneyball. Um, You know, the book before and it's sort of, it's sort of caught in the movie a little bit, but not directly. But when Billy Bean decides to take the job with the Red Sox, like he decides to take it and he decides against it. But when he decides to take it, he's still under contract with the, with the A's, but they take his like right-hand guy, Paul De Podesta, who was a former college athlete. So he, he, it made sense. He didn't let them use his name in the movie. Cause Jonah Hill, not a college athlete. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> But he, but it was, like, funny. It was, like, he had this other – David Force. I think, who's now their general manager. He was, like, the next guy in command. So, basically, they took over for Billy Bean, and they were the ones negotiating with Billy Bean about what sort of compensation they'd have to get (laughs) to have Billy Bean actually go to the Red Sox. And they were going to let him go. But it was just, like, I have two guys from Harvard on the couch trying to figure out how to screw me, I think was the comment or something like that from from Bean. It kind (laughs) of reminds me a little bit of the situation because it's just, like – I don't know. Like Maury's the guy who would pounce on this type of thing for other people, and all the, everyone else is trying to screw him. So it'll be interesting to see who gets uh, who gets oh, the short of the stick. They're just the cackling.
0: Sick. The GMs are cackling in their offices. No, they're right loving now. it. I
1: mean, That's a good point.
0: That's true. They're just, but well, it's certainly a lot going on in the league. This this is this is the type of move that will move mountains in terms of, uh, I think the competitive landscape. And so excited to see this play out and excited to see the season rapidly approaching. I mean, 30 days away, give or take, and, um, fun to have you back Rye have you back in the mix of the three and D love NBA podcast. Um, and it's good to be back. Our listeners, thank you for joining us, uh, again, and we'll be back next week with the next edition of the pod and until then have a great week. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time, but until then, remember throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast, it's a triumph of the human spirit.